Genesis chapter number 17, and we will start our reading in verse number 10, or verse number 9, sorry. Genesis 17, verse 9, And God said unto Abraham, Thou shalt keep my covenant therefore, thou and thy seed after thee in their generations. This is my covenant which ye shall keep between me and you and thy seed after thee. Every man-child among you shall be circumcised, and ye shall circumcise the flesh of your foreskin, and it shall be a token of the covenant betwixt me and you. And he that is eight days old shall be circumcised among you, every man-child in your generation. He that is born in the house or bought with money of any stranger, which is not of thy seed, he that is born in thy house, and he that is bought with thy money, must needs be circumcised in my covenant, shall be in your flesh for an everlasting covenant. And the uncircumcised man shall, or man whose flesh of his foreskin is not circumcised, that soul shall be cut off from his people. He hath broken my covenant. Last week, um, we talked, we, I, I went into covenant uh, theology. How, and we examined how those who hold to a covenant theology can find baby baptism in the scripture. Even though there's, there's no example of baby baptism, and even though you don't have, find the precept commanding us to do so, they take a framework of covenant theology and lay it on top of the scriptures. And from that covenant theology, um, take what our text that we read tonight and derive the idea that uh, this covenant is a continuing covenant. And so they wouldn't say that they have to prove baby baptism is in the scriptures. They would say that we have to prove that this covenant uh, came to an end. So it's just a different way of looking at the Bible. Um, and so tonight, um, after we laid that groundwork last week, tonight I want to look at circumcision. And we're just going to examine, does circumcision carry over to the New Testament in the form of baptism. So, despite the framework and despite the idea, does that even does that idea even hold up? Is circumcision that we read of here equivalent to baptism of the New Testament? Um, is there continuity between the two, meaning that they're essentially the same under that same covenant? Um, we are a people of the New Testament, a new covenant. I believe that all the promises of God are yea and amen in Christ, and, and we read the scriptures according uh, to what the scriptures reveal to us. So I think when we read the Old Testament, we have to first understand what the original authors meant by what they said. And we have to take the meaning of this covenant that God gave to Abraham, as Abraham understood it, in the context and the time that Abraham received it, and then if the New Testament sheds any data on it, then we can come back and say, well, the, well Paul says this about that, and, and, or Jesus says this about that, and we can, we can understand more fully if the New Testament provides that information for us. But what happens is the covenant theolo theologians make a beeline straight to the New Testament, and they leave a lot of stuff behind. They're in such a hurry to get from Genesis 17 to Acts chapter 2 that they leave half the covenant behind in its wake. And they skip aspects of the covenant, they squish it down and flatten it uh, to make sure that 
that that continuity stays together, they spiritualize um, the whole thing and ignore the physical, the national, and the typological aspects of this covenant with Abraham. And so they view this as the beginning of a covenant of grace that continues on. So if you picture in your mind Genesis 17, and then you draw a big uh, umbrella all the way to the New Testament, even today, everything under that umbrella is under the umbrella of a covenant of grace. And sometimes God deals with people under that umbrella in one way, and sometimes he deals with them in a different way. Um, but it's all under that one covenant of, of grace. And so if that's the case, then they can say, well, what was the sign of the covenant? Well, it was circumcision. Well, what's the sign of the covenant now? We say, well, it's baptism. So we have to connect those two things together um, because it's all under one covenant. You say, well, what about this aspect of the circumcision? Well, we won't worry about that, or we'll spiritualize it, or we'll just say it doesn't matter, and we'll just bring all that would be necessary to keep that continuity between the old and the new. This is one reason why um, I don't think it's right um, that Baptists would call themselves Reformed Baptists. Because the Reformed, um, to be Reformed, you have to hold on to this covenant idea. R. Scott Clark is a Presbyterian professor at Westminster in California. He said the particular Baptist, which, you know, uh, what you would call Reformed Baptists today, um, he said, are they Reformed? And he said, no, um, to admit the Baptist into our Reformed camp, we would have to give up our reading of redemptive history the continuity of the covenant of grace, which was what I was talking about, our, we, our way of reading scripture, our understanding of the nature of the covenant of grace, our view of the visible church and the internal and the external distinctions, our understanding of sacraments, our understanding of the promises of God has made to believers and the children, the whole nature of visible church and our eschatology in favor of the Baptist vision. Now listen to what he says. According to reform understanding, there's two ways to relate a covenant of grace, externally and internally. So he says this covenant of grace, there's an external aspect to it and there's an internal aspect. And if you, know, if you heard him talking about the visible church, the internal and the external, well, what he's saying is that you baptize babies, they're in the covenant now. If you baptize a baby, they're now in the new covenant. Now they might not be the elect of God, but they're in the new covenant, they say. And so if they grow up and become a heathen, let's say, well, they're a covenant breaker. And so that's why they have that's why you have to have that big, well, that's why you have to have that universal invisible church. Because you've got the external people in the church, but then you got the elect. Just like in Israel. You had people who were in Israel, but then you had a remnant who were, who were saved. And so they look at the church in Israel as the same thing. There, there's not a distinction. And so that means the ordinances, what we would call them, become sacraments in their understanding because it has a power to it. It conveys grace. That they are means of grace is what they would say. They are means by which God 
gives grace to the, the children. And so um, those who are Reformed Baptists who hold on to those confessions of the Presbyterians and the Covenant theologians, they bring all this terminology in with them. Means of grace and sacraments and, and children of the covenant and, and covenant keepers and covenant breakers. And, and so in order to keep that um, covenant theology, you have to read the scriptures a certain way. And so the Presbyterians said, you, if, if we admit Baptists into our camp, then we have to say our way of reading Scripture is wrong. So it's more than just defining the words, and it's more than just dipping people under the water. There is a whole framework of distinction that is different between us and them. I'm not saying that uh, they have a false gospel, but what I am saying, there's a whole lot of difference um, between um, our understanding of the scriptures and their understanding of the scriptures uh, as far as the church goes, as far as the Lord's Supper, as far as baptism, their purposes, their meaning, our understanding of even how to read the scriptures. So that is why, um, one reason why Baptists will hold to a local visible church rather than an invisible universal because that carries with it that whole idea of the, the kingdom of Israel and a remnant within um, the, the covenant people. Clark went on to say, baptism is for us as circumcision was for Abraham. A sign and a seal of the one covenant of grace that was instituted under Adam after the fall, administered under Noah, repeated under Abraham, under Moses, under David, the prophets, and then now in the New Testament. So you see what he did. He brought a, he took that big covenant of grace and said, first, it was under this administration and under this administration, under this, but it's the same, essentially the same. Well, my contention, and what I hope to look at tonight, is it's not the same. That circumcision and baptism are, are vastly different in what it promised and what it signified, and that it has come to an end. It's no longer needed. And to, to try to make continuity, to try to make connections fit where they don't fit, is very dangerous. You say, well, why should we look at this? Well, it's, it's very uh, common for Baptists even to go to the Old Testament and try to find the church back there. And go and, and look in the Old Testament and say, well, here's the church here and here's the church there. And, but the church wasn't, didn't exist in the Old Testament. This, was, this is a new covenant reality. And to go back and try to put things in the Old Testament that, weren't never, that were never there is to take that covenantal viewpoint of the scriptures, that covenant theology framework, and it can lead to disastrous um, consequences. Because the church is an entity that was established by the Lord Jesus Christ. And the church in Israel are not the same, same entities. And circumcision and baptism are not the same thing. So tonight we're going to look at circumcision. And then, I hope, uh, Lord willing, next week we'll, we'll look at some of the true things about um, baptism. Or I believe the scripture teaches about that. What covenant theology does is leaves out big parts of the covenant and its purpose. Baby baptizers want to take to you and your seed that um, it says there in our text. 
verse 10, which shall, this covenant which you shall keep between you and me and thy seed after thee. And connect that to Acts chapter 2, where Peter talks about um, the promises to you and your children. And say that there's continuity in all things regarding this covenant. It's the same covenant, just in different administrations. But they want to skip um, aspects of the covenant and um, teachings about this covenant uh, that, that don't fit. So they flatten it down and they leave parts out of it. Well, God made a covenant with Abraham. And this is not the first time he made that covenant. It was actually back in chapter number 12. And then again in um, chapter 15, um, he speaks of this covenant. That God called um, Abraham to get thee out of the country and from thy kindred, from thy father's house, into a land I will show you. I will make thee a great nation, and I will bless thee, and make thy name great, and thou shalt be a blessing. And I will bless them that will bless thee, and curse them that curseth thee. And all the families of the earth shall be blessed. So, if you think about it in the big picture of Genesis, God created the heavens and the earth, everything was good. Everything was wonderful without sin. God created Adam, put Adam in the garden, made him, uh, gave him uh, the, the charge to go and have dominion over the, the earth, to be fruitful and multiply. Well, Adam ruined that by sinning and by rebelling against God and brought a curse upon the world. And then after the fall, you see um, um, Cain and murder, and you see the results of Adam's failure. Well, then you have um, the, the earth just being overrun with iniquity, and God destroys the earth with a flood. And then you have Noah comes forth, and God saves Noah and puts him in the ark, and, and Noah and his family come out of the ark. And so here they are, Noah and his family, chosen of God, come out in the ark. All the wickedness, all the wicked men, all the evil have been destroyed. It's just these covenant um, people that God has, has chosen that go out. And what happens just shortly thereafter? Well, you have um, Noah sinning and his son being cursed. Um, Adam ate of the fruit of the tree. Noah drank of the fruit of the vine. You have sin and you have the whole mess starting all over again. And, and that second covenant that God would not destroy the earth with water. Um, but, but you have the consequences of sin. And it goes and it goes. And then what do you have? You have the Tower of Babel. You have men coming together with all the wickedness in their heart. They're going to make a, a great name for themselves. They make a great, um, a great, make a great uh, tower to get themselves to heaven. And what happens? God, well, God judges and, and separates the nations. Then you get chapter number 12. Out of all these people, out of all these, uh, these scattered nations, um, God chooses one man. And he said, I'm going to make you a great nation. And I'm going to bless you. And I'm going to make your name great. And you're going to be a blessing. And you're going to bless the whole earth. And people who bless you will be blessed, and people who curse you will be cursed. So God makes a covenant with, with Abraham, or Abram. And then chapter 13, he tells him to look up and, and see the land that he's going to give him. 
And he's going to make his children as the dust of the earth. And then chapter 15, the covenant is renewed. Verse 7, I am the Lord that brought you out of the land of the earth, the Chaldees, to give you a land to inherit it. And then he tells him to, to make this um, sacrifice, this covenant sacrifice, and God walks between them, and he, he renews uh, the covenant um, with, with Abraham. And yet again, he promises him that he's going to have um, a child, and then, and then again, uh, he renews the covenant in chapter 17. Well, he, he makes his promise to the seed of Abraham. To the seed. Well, who is the seed he's talking about? Well, covenant theology says that the seed would be the believers, the covenant people. But we have to also remember that in Genesis 16, Hagar, the bondswoman, bare Abram a son, and his name was Ishmael. And then in chapter 17, he made that covenant between him and uh, God made the covenant between him and Abraham, a father of many nations. I will make thee exceedingly fruitful. I will make nations of thee, and kings shall come of thee. I will establish my covenant between me and thee, and thy seed after thee, and their generations for an everlasting covenant to be a God unto thee, and thy seed after thee. And I will give unto thee and to thy seed after thee the land wherewith thou art a stranger. And then the institution of the, the covenant. Thou shalt keep my covenant and thy seed after thee in all their generations. Well, what happened? Well, Ishmael was, was circumcised. The seed of Abraham initially refers to the natural physical seed. Ishmael was the seed of Abraham. Isaac was the seed of Abraham. The son of Keturah was the seed of Abraham. Um, by generation, Esau was the seed of Abraham. Jacob was the seed of Abraham. All these, all these people were the children, the seed of Abraham. And they were circumcised. Well, the seed of Abraham also refers to that special seed tied to the purposes of God. So we know that there was a chosen difference between Isaac and Ishmael. Both were the seed of Abraham, but it was with Isaac that he would establish his covenant for an everlasting covenant with him and his seed after him. So you have the children of Abraham, but God chose one of those of, of the other. So it narrows it down into um, Jacob or um, Isaac, and then Jacob. And the, and the children um, of, of Jacob. And then it's narrowed in the Mosaic Covenant. But all along, this Abraham seed has been a mixed group of people. Some had faith and some did not. Some followed Jehovah, some did not. At this point, it had nothing to do with faith or salvation or regeneration. It was that God had entered in a covenant relationship with Abraham and his descendants and then it was particularly down through Isaac, that child of promise. And then through Jacob, that child of promise, as opposed to Ishmael or as opposed to Esau. And then it was the children of Jacob that became that the nation of Israel. 
So in this aspect of the covenant, Abraham's seed was anybody that was in those in that line. Ahab is just as much a child of Abraham as Elijah was. The Pharisees were just as much a, a child of Abraham as David was. Right? It had nothing to do with their faith, had nothing to do with regeneration. It was a, a seed. And they took the sign of the, the seed, the sign of um, the covenant, rather, the circumcision. Well, the third seed of, that we see, the, the way that this is uh, revealed to us in Scripture, is the way that Paul argues in Galatians 3.16. So there's one seed in particular through all the nations of the earth will be blessed. Galatians 3.16. Now to Abraham and his seed were the promises made. He saith not unto the seeds as of many, but as of one, and to thy seed, which is Christ. And this I say, that the covenant that was confirmed before of God in Christ, the law, which was 430 years after, cannot disannul that it should be make the promise none effect. For if the inheritance be of the law, it is no more of promise, but God gave it to Abraham by a promise. So Paul makes the argument that this seed has a unique and special promise to one particular person. That the promises attached to this covenant were fulfilled and um, fulfilled in that one particular seed. That though there are many descendants of Abraham, the promises of God are yes in Christ, in that one seed. Um, Stephen Williams said here, Paul's picking up the promise that traced through the Old Testament of the distinctive line, beginning with Adam, through Noah, Abraham, Isaac, Jacob, David, eventually culminating in Christ. In Christ, we have the promised seed, the mediator of God's people who fulfills all God's promises. Hence, he is the true seed of Abraham, the true Israel, David's greater son. Jesus is the seed of Abraham as the physical seed through that genealogical line as the antitype of all the covenant mediators of the Old Testament. So, what that means is that this covenant had a particular purpose. That there are, there are promises attached to that covenant. And the promises are fulfilled and given in Christ. Because the fourth way that we find this seed spoken of in the book of Galatians is it's not tied to genealogy and it's not tied to um, who you are in this world, but it's tied to who you are in Christ. So in um, Galatians 3... 26. For you are all the children of God by faith in Jesus Christ. For as many of you have been baptized into Christ, have put on Christ. There is neither Jew nor Greek, 
There is neither bond nor free. There is neither male nor female, for you are all one in Christ Jesus. And if ye be in Christ, then you are Abraham's seed and heirs according to the promise. So what's he saying? So Christ is that seed of Abraham. Christ is the one who fulfilled the covenant, the Mosaic covenant. Christ was circumcised on the eighth day. Luke tells us that. Christ was circumcised. Christ lived according to the law. Christ is that seed of Abraham. Christ fulfilled all the law's requirements. And now all those who trust in Christ, all those who have union with Christ, are now the children of God by faith in Christ. So it doesn't matter if you're a Jew. It doesn't matter if you're a Gentile. It doesn't matter if Abraham's in your um, genealogy or Goliath is in your genealogy. It doesn't matter if you're a male. It doesn't matter if you're a female. That's nothing anymore. Why? Because we are united with Christ. And if you are united to Christ, you are in the true seed of Abraham. I don't have to be circumcised because I'm united to Christ, who is the true seed. That doesn't matter anymore. It doesn't matter if you're, I mean, you had to be a male, obviously, to be circumcised. That doesn't matter anymore, male or female. This was just for the Jews. Well, that doesn't matter anymore if you're not united to Christ. So it's not a continuation of the old covenant and the different covenant. It's a new covenant altogether. Because Christ fulfilled all that. He fulfilled all that was required. He fulfilled the Mosaic law, and he is the true seed of Abraham. We don't have to go back and make that connection because we are united in Jesus Christ. It doesn't carry over. It's not, there's not continuity there between that covenant and the new covenant in that regard. There's a discontinuity. There's a difference. In Jeremiah chapter 31 and verse 29. This is what Jeremiah says about this, this new covenant and how it's different. So Abraham has a covenant and he has for his seed, well, he's got Ishmael, he's got Isaac, Isaac has Jacob and Esau. These are all descendants of Abraham, um, Genesis seventeen twenty three. Abraham took Ishmael his son and all that were born in his house, and the slaves, and circumcised the flesh of their foreskin the same day that God told him this circ- to do this. Ishmael was circumcised. Why? Because he was the ch- child of Abraham. He was a seed. The slaves were sacrificed or circumcised. Why? Because they were in Abraham's house. Has nothing to do with their faith. Has nothing to do with even being in the covenant community as far as that one lineage is concerned. But it was just everything about being that seed of Abraham. Now God narrowed it after this point. But but you can't say that it's the same thing because um, Ishmael was was uh, circumcised, right? So Jeremiah 31, 29. Now think about how different this is. In those days they shall no more they shall say no more, thy fathers have eaten a sour grape, and the children's teeth are set on edge. But everyone shall die for his own iniquity. And every man that eateth the sour grape, his teeth shall be set on edge. 
So it's no longer if David counts the people that a plague comes on all the people. Because David was the, the covenant figure in that old covenant. And when it's no longer if they got a bad prophet, then all the people were going to be following after that bad prophet. That, that there's that nation that uh, one man brings sin, there's sin in the camp that they, they, they're all together. But no, he said, in, there's coming a day when everyone will die for their own sin. Behold, the days come, saith the Lord, that I will make a new covenant with the house of Israel and with the house of Judah. Not the administration of a, the same covenant, but a new one. That's one question that I have for the covenant uh, theologians is, what makes the new covenant new? What's new about the new covenant? If, it, if there's continuity, what's new about the new? Not according to the covenant that I made with their fathers in the day I took them out of the hand to bring them out of the land of Egypt, which my covenant they break, although I was a husband unto them, saith the Lord. But this covenant, the covenant I will make after the house of Israel, after those days, saith the Lord, I will put my law in their inward parts and write it in their hearts and will be their God and they shall be my people. And they shall teach no more every man his neighbor and every man his brother, saying, Know the Lord, for they shall all know me. From the least of them unto the greatest of them, saith the Lord, for I will forgive their iniquity, and I will remember their sin no more. So what's different about this covenant and the covenant with Abraham? Well, in the old covenant, you see that priests would come and they would teach the people, and the people would go to the priest, and that the priest would mediate between um, God and the people. That they say, God, don't speak to us. We'll send Moses, you speak to us. Moses will tell us what you said. Um, and you have prophets come and speak to the people with special blessings of the Holy Spirit. Now, the Old Testament saints were, I believe, regenerated. But we know that Jesus promised a blessing in John, um, in the Upper Room Discourse in John, of the New Covenant. And a, a special blessing of, of the Holy Spirit. Well, they're not reliant upon individuals to come and teach them anymore. What's unique here is that in this new covenant, God will not write the law on tables of stone and put it in a box in the temple. God will write the law in the hearts of his people. God will be the God of the people in the covenant. And the people in the covenant will be the people of God. Not now you in the Old Testament you could be a part, you could be a member of the covenant community and worship Baal and not have a thing to do with Jehovah because it was a mixed group. But in this new covenant, it's not going to be a mixed group. It's going to be redeemed people, saved people. God will be their God, and the people will be the people of God. They will have the Holy Spirit. They'll be led by the Holy Spirit and taught by the Spirit. And he says, I will forgive their iniquity, and I will remember their sin no more. That's a regenerated, saved person. That's different than the old covenant. The people who came out of Egypt died in the wilderness because of their, their, their sinfulness, because of their wickedness. Like I said, Ahab was, was a covenant son, circumcised according to the law of God. But he didn't know God. This new covenant, this better covenant, is not a mixed group. It is a covenant, it is a covenant of, of new people. 
It's not a mixed community of covenant keepers and covenant breakers. It's, it's not to your, you and your children, visible and invisible. But those in the covenant will be regenerated, saved people, and dwelt by the Holy Spirit. And so baptism is a covenant token of the new covenant to those who have been redeemed, those who have been saved. The purpose of circumcision was attached to a covenant already in place. God was going to make Abraham a great name, give him a great land, and from him would be great seed. There was a physical aspect to it, and there was a spiritual aspect to it. But both of those aspects are true and real. God promised descendants, a great nation, and um, a land. All these things were promised and tied to this Abrahamic covenant. And you can't just spiritualize everything and say, well, it's all spiritual and we're just going to take the part that connects with what we want it to say. No, you've got to take the whole thing. And you have to deal with the whole thing as that part of the covenant. And so that's what I mean by they flatten it. Like there's different parts to it. Well, we'll just squish it all down and flatten it and, and bring it all over together as, and spiritualize the parts that, that we want to spiritualize. This was to every man-child, everyone that was in the house, there was no distinction of what they believed or what they thought. Um, even if they were part of the house, if Abraham owned them, then they were going to be um, circumcised. If not, they'd be cut off from his people. Not cut off from God, but it says the uncircumcised man, that soul shall be cut off from his people. He's broken the covenant. He's no longer in the covenant and he will lose out on the inheritance and the promises of the people of God. So the land and the nation all was part of this covenant. Well, then it was moved to the Mosaic covenant. Like I said, it was narrowed down to, to Isaac and then Jacob and then given in this Mosaic covenant. And this covenant differed from Abraham's covenant in the sense that the Jewish people had to keep their side to it. As long as they kept God's laws, he would bless them. And if they didn't keep their side of the covenant, then they would suffer the consequences. That's why Jesus calls it um, of Moses. Because this is related with the natural seed of Abraham and then the law of the Mosaic Covenant. But it did not confer grace. So well, what about Romans 4? Well, let's look at Romans 4 and, and think about um, what the, the case that Paul is making here. Because Paul doesn't make the same case as the covenant theologians do uh, pertaining to Abraham and this covenant and baptism. In Romans chapter 4 and verse 8, it says, Blessed is the man to whom the Lord will not impute sin. Cometh this blessing there upon the circumcision only or upon the uncircumcision also? So is it just for the Jews or for the Gentiles too? For we say faith was reckoned to Abraham for righteousness. How is it reckoned? When he was in circumcision or uncircumcision, not in circumcision, but in uncircumcision. And he received the sign of the circumcision, a seal of the righteousness of the faith which he had, yet being uncircumcised, that he might be the father of all them that believe, through, though they be not circumcised, that righteousness might be imputed unto them also. And the father of the circumcision to them who were not of the circumcision only, 
who also walk in the steps of that faith of our father Abraham, which he had, being yet uncircumcised. So God did not impute Abraham's sin to him. Why? Because he had faith, and God counted that faith um, unto righteousness. It didn't confer grace to Abraham, but it confirmed it. So this is very interesting, I think, because this is not what the baby baptizers would say baptism represents or circumcision represents. Because they're saying Abraham was saved. Well, Paul said Abraham was saved. He was saved before circumcision, so circumcision can't save you. He is the father of those who were of that circumcision or not, whether you're in the lineage of Abraham or not. That doesn't matter. Well, he was circumcised as a sign of what he had already received. But that has nothing to do with anybody after that. I guess you might be able to say proselytes, but from that point onward, no one was circumcised for what they thought or what they believed. Abraham's circumcision was unique in that he received a circumcision after, and it was a, a, a sign of a seal of a righteousness of faith that he had before he was uncircumcised, but no one else ever had that. This Abraham's circumcision would have been different in that respect from every other. Right. If baby baptizers want to make this a pattern, but Abraham's the only person it was given to as a sign of their faith, to others it signified something completely different and was for a different purpose. Paul's point here is about the believers who are the children of Abraham, regardless of that sign. Paul said you don't have to have that sign because to be in the new covenant is to be united with Christ and you're not united with Christ through baptism and the outward sign. You're united to Christ through faith. And that faith is, the the sign of that faith is baptism. So those two things go together. Um, The baptism is a sign of something that has already happened, not as a sign of something that will happen or a token of something that hasn't happened yet. The New Testament church everywhere, in every passage, is viewed as a regenerate, believing group of people. Jeremiah, when he spoke of the New Covenant, spoke of the law written in people's hearts, a believing, regenerate people. Baptism, by example, is to believing, regenerate people. To be a true child of God in the New Covenant you, don't, you aren't circumcised, but you have to have your heart circumcised. Always it's a heart work in salvation. And it is the true children of God who re- receive Christ by faith. Old Testament circumcision was an ordinance established in a specific time in history for a specific purpose in history. The same is true of New Testament. It was established in a specific time in history for a specific purpose in history. We don't have to make continuity between baptism and and circumcision and the church in Israel. We don't have to have a one-to-one equation to all these things. And to do so brings great error. 
But rather, what we see is how God has dealt with people through these covenants, through the different times in history, as it relates to Jesus Christ. And, and when something is put aside and done with, we don't have to keep, keep it going. Circumcision marked out the physical seed of the coming Messiah. God promised that in the seed of Abraham, all nations would be blessed. So when they were circumcised, that was saying somewhere along Abraham's children, there's going to be a man come that's going to bless everybody in the world. Circumcision marked out the male lineage to whom all the nations would be blessed. That's why it was meant, because there was that one seed, that one man who was coming, that was promised uh, to Adam and Eve. That's the purpose of it. It signified that through this one man, and then you had the land blessings. The circumcision of the Mosaic Covenant marked that the nation, it would be from this nation, not just that one just related to Abraham through the one nation of Israel. And it showed that the flesh was not sufficient because throughout the Mosaic Covenant, the prophet said that it was not just the flesh, we had to circumcise your heart. It was to show that the flesh was not sufficient. It was corrupt in Adam. It signified the corruption of the flesh and the need of the circumcised heart. It was not for believers and their children. Now that's what, um, that's what they'll try to say. Yeah, the circumcision was for believers and their children. No, it wasn't. It doesn't say that circumcision was for believers and their children. It says it was for the children of, uh, of Abraham and his descendants. It has nothing to do with believers and their children. So that's what they'll say that baptism is. Well, baptism is for believers and the believer's children being the covenant community. Well, that's not what circumcision was. That's a, that's a different. It was for citizens and slaves. And it didn't matter what you believed. But the Messiah has come. The seed of Abraham has come. We don't have to mark out that male lineage of the children of Israel anymore. The circumcision, which marked out the coming seed, it's been, it's, there's no need for it anymore. He's already come. The nation from which the king would come, he already has come. There's no need to mark that out in believers any longer. We, in Christ, have our hearts circumcised in the new covenant. There's no need to mark that any longer. What was for believers and their children, because they had a genealogical impact, is no longer needed, because Christ has come. Galatians 6.15 says, For in Christ, neither circumcision availeth anything, nor uncircumcision, but a new creature. It'd be strange that Paul would say circumcision is nothing when it's just a different token of the same covenant. Right? That's not the point that Paul is making, though. He said it doesn't, it's nothing. It doesn't mean anything. It doesn't have any significance anymore for you. But a new creature, a new creation, but the new man. We are now a new creation in Christ Jesus. The law covenant has been fulfilled. And what circumcision was designed to do has been done. And to take that and to keep dragging it on is to misrepresent 
the token of circumcision. It is to misread the Bible. It is to take the gospel and to twist the gospel in some regards in order to make it fit this con- the, to make it fit with the Old Testament. Baptism is a mark that defines those who believe in Jesus Christ. Baptism always in the New Testament has a connection with the new birth and regeneration. And in fact, um, that's where some people get baptismal regeneration because it's, it is so connected to repent, believe, and be baptized. That, that people will say, well, every time you see someone being saved, you see them baptism because it has to, they go hand in hand. And that, that's, no, it, it, it illustrates what is done in the heart. It's never given so you can enter into a covenant community and then get the blessings of the covenant, even though that you're not really in the covenant. That the new covenant is for you and your children, that you get the blessings of the new covenant, and you get some of the blessings, but you're part of the invisible, mixed multitude um, congregation. Nowhere in the New Testament does it make the hint that the church is that mixed multitude uh, like the Old Testament was. But always redeemed, regenerated, believing people who are baptized, and redeemed, regenerated, believing people um, are, are considered uh, church members. Now, does somebody make a false profession? Well, sure, but, but the scriptures talk about that. But not a predominantly mixed community of believer and unbeliever alike. So I hope we see the importance of looking at the Old Testament and seeing what the Old Testament meant and see what it meant to those people and see what it meant to Abraham and what it signified. And then we can go to Paul and Galatians and Colossians and Romans and look back and get more data and more information and learn more about what was in the Old Testament. But not before we completely understand and hang on to what it meant in the Old Testament. Right? We can't just take our framework and squish everything down to make it fit in what we want it to say. So baby baptism carries a lot of weight with it and a lot of different error. And like our Presbyterian friend said, as I quoted at the beginning, the way you read the Bible, eschatology, um, what the ordinances are, whether they're sacraments or ordinances, where they, they convey grace, um, whether they, they bring someone actually into the new covenant. And then you have people in the new covenant who are not regenerated and born again eschatology, how you do the, how church works and what it's for and its purpose and the gospel. There's a lot that comes along with it. And so my concern is, as Baptists, we don't adopt the framework of the Presbyterians and other uh, covenant theologians, adopt their terminology, adopt their framework, and go back and try to find things in the Old Testament that aren't there, but to be Baptist and to be... Um, content with reading the scripture as a Baptist and reading the scripture um, in, in, as New Covenant believers. Well, I pray the Lord would uh, bless the preaching of his word tonight and be an encouragement.